This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, God's been good to us. I can't say that enough. And I'm excited today uh, because there's been something burning on my heart. The title of the message today is this, A Time Such As This. Now, maybe you've heard that phrase used before, and maybe you've read the scripture that I'm getting ready to look at. But I want you to turn to the book of Esther this morning, the book of Esther. This is a fabulous story out of the Bible because I believe there's a lot of connection with us in 2020 to where Esther was way back then. So we're going to be looking at Esther chapter 4 here in just a second. But just to kind of catch you up on the story, Esther was a young lady, a young Jewish lady, and she was in a real predicament. Uh, her and her cousin Mordecai, he had raised her basically as her father figure. They were Jewish, and the Jewish people at this time were being held captive by the Persians. And of course, we, we've seen so many times in world history and in Bible history how the Jewish people, this happened to them quite a bit. They were uh, taken over by the Babylonians, by the Persians, all sorts of different bad situations they were in. But at this time, King Xerxes was the king And he was looking for a new queen because his previous wife had ticked him off. And so he's like, we got to get rid of her and get a new one. You know, so anyway, uh, he, he, he looks for a new queen and he picks Esther. It says because she's so beautiful. She was a beautiful young lady. And so she was picked to be the new queen. Now, there was a really bad guy named Haman. Okay, and Haman was kind of like the the highest official in the kingdom underneath the king. Now, Haman had a lot of issues, you know, too many to go into right now. But one thing is Haman hated the Jewish people and he really hated Mordecai, the man that had raised Esther. And the reason for that was everybody was supposed to bow down every time that Haman walked down the street. You dropped what you were doing. You take a knee. You bow down and, and, and you show respect to this powerful man. And people just did it. No questions asked whether he was good or bad. They just dropped Jews, Persians, everybody. They took a knee and bowed down to Haman. But he would come down the street and Mordecai wouldn't do it. If he was eating a sandwich, he just kept eating his sandwich. Gave him a head nod. If he was, you know, playing game of, I don't know, Angry Birds on his phone, whatever you guys play. And he, he just, he didn't stop. So every time Haman walked by, he would get more and more angry that this guy would not bow down like everybody else did and show what he thought was respect. Mordecai refused to do it. And so Haman got so angry, he reaches this point. He's like, you know what? We're just going to have to get rid of Mordecai and all of the Jewish people. So he comes up with this wicked plan. He's going to round up all of them on March the 7th of the next year, and they're going to have a mass execution. I mean, talk about a bad thing. He only needs the king's permission. And so he presents this to the king, Xerxes. He's like, there is this group of people in your kingdom. They're non-compliant. We're telling them to do things, and they won't do it. They say it goes against their beliefs. They say that that they can't do this, and and they're like doing their own thing over there. They are showing disrespect, and they are flat out non-compliant to the things that you're saying, King Xerxes. I I've got a plan. I'll and Mordecai or excuse me, Haman even he even offered to pay for the whole thing. How wicked is that? So he's like, we're gonna round all them up. We're gonna we're just gonna absolutely annihilate them. I'll even pay for it myself. I mean, what a wicked dude. And so Xerxes is like, hey, you know what? Do what you got to do. I don't really care. Just whatever. And so 
This game plan is put into place. They're going to wipe out this entire population of people. Uh, no questions asked because they're not complying. They're not going along with. They're not doing everything that King Xerxes says to do. And the king himself doesn't even care. It's just Haman that's mad. And so the, the day is getting closer. People are getting on edge. Some people know what's going on. Others may not know. But it's getting closer and closer. And so... Mordecai is communicating via letter with his cousin, or more like his daughter figure, that's in the palace. Esther chapter 4, look at verse 13. Esther chapter 4, so she knows what's going on. She's right in there, but she doesn't, she doesn't have a voice. Esther chapter 4, verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Now, that's a powerful phrase, and different translations uh, word that different ways. Some translations say you were brought to the palace. Some say you were made queen. But some say you were born for such a time as this. It looked like the worst moment in their history, but according to the word of God for her, this is the moment you've been born for. You were born for such a time as this. I know it looks like it's all getting ready to end. It looks super bad, he's saying, but it's okay. This is what you were born for. But keep looking here. Verse 15 Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and pray and fast and pray for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. Look at this. And even though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, then I must die. Now I'm talking about Esther is a bold young lady. She's got some guts. Because what she was doing, this was against the law. She was not allowed to just walk, even as the king's wife, even as the queen. She couldn't just roll up into his throne room and say, hey, we need to talk. Imagine that. Ladies, you like to talk. Husbands, do you like to hear these words? We need to have a talk. All of you are real quiet, right? I know, all right? I get that, okay? I, I respect that. But... But right here, in this situation, she's not even allowed to roll in and say, we need to talk about something. She's got to get all this permission and stuff, first of all, before she ever even gets in there. She says, this is against the law. What I'm doing isn't allowed, but I've got to make a bigger stand for something right now because God's people are getting ready to be killed. They're getting ready to perish. If I've got to die for all of them, then I must die. So Esther was beautiful, but man, this girl was tough as nails when it came down to it. And so here's the plan. Here's what happens next. Okay. We're kind of in story mode right here, but listen, she's like, okay. So she prepares this, this, this dinner, the, a little feast, uh, a little banquet. And she's like, King, uh, what I need Xerxes husband, dear lovey, I want you and that wonderful friend of yours, Haman, I've prepared a dinner just for the two of you. I want you to come to it. Okay. And so Haman's like, yes, I'm getting even closer to the royal family. So they show up for the dinner and she's like, well, I need you to come to one more. So she throws another dinner party for just Haman and the king and the king's like, okay, what's going on? 
there's got to be more to it than you just wanting to feed us dinner. What is it that's really on your mind? I'll give you anything you want. You know that. She's like, really? Okay, here's what this is all about. I simply want for you to spare my life and the lives of my people. And she bats her eyes real sweet. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? Who would dare try to touch my wife and her people? And Haman, I just see him over there in the corner, you know, sipping whatever he's sipping or eating a hot dog or something. And she's like, Haman's the guy. And I just imagine him dropping it right there. What? What? Imagine how awkward that is. She's got the king at boiling point and the guy that thought he had all this together. He didn't realize that she was Jewish also. She said, that man right there has threatened to kill me and all my people, and I want you to do something about it, dear. And he's like, you know what? Fine. Haman, you're going to die. And so they take care of Haman. I'm not going to go into the bloody, gruesome detail. It's in there if you want to read it. It's gruesome. So what they do is they kill Haman on the same instruments that were going to be used to kill Mordecai on. And then the king says, you know what? Mordecai, you can have Haman's old position. It's vacant right now. And you can have all of his possessions. Go take his house and everything else. But what I'm talking about is this. When God's people stand up at the right time, there's blessing involved, right? And, 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 and she was born for a time such as that. And I'm telling you right now, some people are hanging their heads low and, man, why did I have to be born right now? Why couldn't I have been born back then? What I'm telling you is, you were born for such a time as this. It's not an accident that you're alive right now. God knew what He was doing. David said it this way, before a single day had passed, you had every moment of my life already planned. God planned for you to be here right now, and God has an assignment for you to do. Can somebody say amen today? There's a purpose that you're here right now that you weren't born a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, or whenever you were born. There's a purpose that you are alive and on the earth right now, and you will never know what that is if you back down now and you don't take a stand for the kingdom of God. And that's the absolute truth. So what I want to do here is I want to open in prayer, and I'm going to dig into two quick points about the importance of your time on earth right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for the people gathered here today. God, for anybody that's joining us. And Lord, I say in Jesus' name that as we open your word, as we study what you have for us, God, that you're going to bless us, Lord. You're going to speak to us. You're going to encourage us. You're going to correct us if we need corrected. You're going to show us what we need to see so we can be the absolute strongest end times army of God that has ever been imagined, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. So why were we born for such a time as this? Number one, to stand. Number one, to stand. And that's what Esther had to do. It came down to the wire, and if she didn't take a stand, then something bad was going to really happen. Something that none of them even wanted to imagine happening. And all throughout crucial moments in history, God's people have had the opportunity to stand up for what's right. Or roll over and play dead and well, we'll just, well, let's just pretend this isn't happening. Let's cover our eyes. Let's, let's look the other way. But God's people always have an opportunity to stand for what's right and to do the right thing. And of course, you know, God's given us free will. You can always just stick your head in the sand and, and, uh, pretend like nothing, try to hide from the problems, but that's not the way of God. Esther could have said, you know what? It's every man for himself. I'm sorry. 
I feel bad for them. I'm up here in the palace, so this isn't really going to touch me anyway. I'm just going to, you know, best of luck, guys. I'll say a prayer, but you're on your own. That's not what she did because she knew Mordecai was right when he said, don't you think that just because you're in the palace that it's not ever going to catch up to you? It's going to catch up to you someday if you don't take a stand right now. This is your moment, Esther. You have got to do something. It'll catch up to you eventually. And she knew that he was right. She knew that what he was saying was the truth, whether it was uncomfortable, whether she wanted to hear it or not. And she did the right thing. She said, you know what? I am going to take a stand. If I got to die, then I got to die. But you know what? At least I'm not going to die a coward. At least I'm not going to die and let all the rest of these Jewish people perish because of my weakness. I'm going to stand up and do the right thing no matter how comfortable it is. And I got to tell you, there's an old saying, but it's the absolute truth. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I know some people, they don't stand for anything. Well, I just, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't, blah, 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 blah. There has got to be something that you stand for. And I'm especially talking about spiritually. There's lots of other great things to take a stand for, save the planet, save it. That's all wonderful, nice things. But spiritually speaking, especially, there has got to be some sort of standard that you have where you say, enough is enough. I'm not going to give that up anymore. I'm not going to. Enough is enough. You have got to stand up for what you believe in, especially biblically and spiritually speaking, because people that don't stand for anything, they'll fall for it. They'll fall for anything. And that is not the end times army. That is not the family of God, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, whatever you want to call it, that Jesus is coming back for. I believe that he's coming back for a strong family, a strong, not us hiding in the cower, hiding in caves, looking for some way to escape. I'm not looking to escape. I'm looking to dominate and do what God's called me to do in this end times. And I'm not going to do a hiding. I'm going to do everything that Jesus told me to do. And you're going to do the same thing because I'm saying, Jesus, I've always been able to count on you. You can count on me right now. I'm there for you and I'm not backing down. Let's look at Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six. You're thinking, man, I came on Labor Day weekend and everything, and you got to hit us with this stuff. No, listen, it's time for the family of God, the people of God, to rise up, amen, and stand, stand for it. Ephesians 6, this is talking about some spiritual warfare. And one thing that we have to recognize, we've said it a million times, you've heard this. We are not fighting against people. Well, I I am. Well, that's why you keep losing. You were never promised victory in the physical realm of arguing and fighting and debating and, and, and just always looking to fight other people. That's an intellectual battle. I wasn't promised victory in the intellectual realm necessarily, but I was promised victory in the spiritual realm. Everything that we see, problems on your job, problems in your family, problems in your country, problems in yourself. Listen, there is a root to all of it. Sometimes we're just trying to chop down the fruit everywhere. Oh, well, this keeps happening over here. You've got to get to the root cause of the problem. And the root of all evil is the devil. All of it. 
but we're busy fighting all these, trying to put out all these wildfires. The root cause is Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the enemy, the liar, and the father of lies. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, put on all of God's armor. How much of it? Man, I don't want to just run into battle with my helmet on. I want every piece of it on. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to do what? Stand. What are we talking about? We're talking about taking a stand right now. You cannot take the right stand without the armor of God. So put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the people that you don't like. Against all strategies. No, against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting people but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. All the things I just named right there are different demonic forces, different levels of demons that exist in this world, in this atmosphere, that are trying to fight against you, come against you, destroy you, divide you, and absolutely annihilate you, and yet we're trying to fight people That is not what's going on. And I can say there's not a person in this world that I hate. There's not a person in this world that I care to fight against. I don't care to fight the governor. I don't care to fight the president. I don't care to fight my neighbor. I'm in this to beat the devil. Amen? And that's what we're talking about right here. And so, so many people are fighting against other people. But that's not the issue. The issue is Satan. And if we're going to take a stand, it's going to have to be in this realm. And everything else is just a sideshow, a distraction. And if Satan can get you focused over here, he's coming right in the back door and he's robbing you blind. Something to think about. Amen. And so verse 11 right there says to put on all the armor so we can stand and not just stand flimsy, but stand firm. So we can stand firm and 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 notice. I mean, think about all the all the, uh, the 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 distractions, all the things going on in our world right now, and and all of that is to get you to quit standing. Satan's goal right now, if he could come, he knows that his time is short. Revelation told us that he knows he's got he had about this much time. And when the book of Revelation was written, now he has about this much time and he knows it's getting shorter and shorter. I've got a few days left. If I if there's one thing he wants to do, he wants to attack the church of Jesus Christ. And and there's two two big things that he would love to do. He would like to divide the church of Jesus Christ right now. Divide us. I mean, anything he can use, politics, race, money, geography, whatever, anything he could do to divide the church right before Jesus comes back. That's exactly what he wants. You know, something else he wants. He would love to shut church doors down right now, right before Jesus comes back and just shut things down because we're the light of the world. Christians, Jesus said, Matthew five, you are the light of the world. And who knows that we need some light in this world right now. Anything that he can do. You know, it said, who would, who would light a lamp? Who would plug in a lamp and put a basket over it, Jesus said. I mean, imagine that. You get home, you know, at nighttime or whatever from work. The house is dark. You come in. You turn on the lamp and like, where's that basket? Ah, oh, you put the basket over it. There we go. Well, why would you even turn the lamp on in the first place? 
Right. And that's how silly it is, how bizarre it is for a Christian to to come to Jesus, to totally surrender their life and then want to hide it from everybody. I mean, I am a Christian. I just don't really want everybody to know. Why even light the lamp if you're just going to cover it up and not let that light shine? Let your light shine for all men to see, and then they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen? And so, we're talking about taking a stand for what's right in 2020, and I'm especially referring to spiritual things, talking about the church standing up. And so here's just a little bit of info I shared a few weeks ago to show you the importance of Christians doing their job right now. Christians have got to stand up and be the light right now. But as of July, throughout the whole shutdown, obviously domestic violence is up by as much as 130% in some areas. Families without the peace of God just beating the tar out of each other. 130%. That's wicked. That's awful. That's ungodly. Suicide rates have skyrocketed. I'm not making this stuff up. Look it up. Since all this began, Satan is using this time, especially when, when, when the churches are not firing on all cylinders, whatever you want to say, but especially right now, domestic violence is up. Suicide rates are up. It's awful. Drug overdoses as high as 42% are up. But listen to this. Doctors, and I, I've read this a few weeks ago, but doctors at John Muir Medical Center in Walnut Creek, California, say they've seen more deaths by suicide during the quarantine than from the COVID-19 virus. That's uh, ABC News said that. So if you trust them, I'm not making this up. We're getting some bizarre third string news source. ABC News interviewed these doctors. They said we've seen more suicide deaths than COVID deaths. Why? People's minds are going crazy and the devil's having a heyday absolutely ransacking people's lives right now. It's an awful thing to even think about. And this one doctor, Dr. Mike DuBoisbank said, we've never seen suicide numbers like this in such a short period of time. We've seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks in July than we normally see in an entire year. I'm like, my gosh, you think the devil's not sitting in the background just rubbing his hands? Oh, man, this is awesome. Right before my time is up, i got people killing themselves, beating their wives to pieces, kids running away, being sold into trafficking. I've got people divided and fighting everywhere. And there's some some and, and so much of the body of, of God's army is just absolutely off to the sidelines, not doing anything about it. This is exactly what I dreamed of. Imagine that. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. I'm coming back for a strong body, a strong army that are willing to fight. And they're like, Esther, if I must die, then I must die. But I'm not going down a coward. I am going to declare the works of the Lord. Amen. God is on our side and we are on his side. Amen. And so Satan can try his best, but his best is never enough. And I pray that he has to say, just like the the, the, the naval marshal of the Japanese army after Pearl Harbor, he said, uh-oh, 
We've awakened a sleeping giant. We should have never messed with them. We're going to pay now. And, you know, you know world history, but pay they did. And so I believe Satan's been poking and trying to pull one over on the church of Jesus. And he's going to say, oh, man, I should have left him alone. I've awakened a sleeping giant. Now they're really mad. Now they're really going to start practicing what they've preached all these years. My time is short. But I'm telling you now, this is our moment. We will not back down. The second thing I'm going to say is this. Number one, why were we born for a time such as this? Number one, to take a stand. Number two, to deliver. To deliver. Now, I'm saying that word in a, in a twofold sense. Number one, I'm saying it as to deliver people from the kingdom of darkness. But I'm also saying it in the sense on that we are to deliver everything that Jesus told us to do. We're going to deliver on. Amen. I like the old basketball player, Carl Malone. They call him the mailman. He's like, he always delivers. He always comes through. And that's us right now, the body of Christ, the people of God. In the name of Jesus, I declare, at least at High Desert Word Center, we always deliver on what God told us to do. He told us to deliver peace into somebody's life. We're going to deliver. He told us to deliver some deliverance to somebody that's bound by the devil. We're going to show up and we're going to deliver. We're going to do everything. Thing that he called us to do and we will not back down in the name of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? So Esther's obedience brought deliverance to the people of Israel and she took what looked like the biggest risk of her life. People are like, that's risky. That's a, that's a, what are you doing? But I'm telling you right now, it's a lot more of a risk to not obey God. Some of the stuff you may be called to do in the end times may seem really, really risky, but I'm telling you right now, mark my words, it's a lot more of a risk to not obey God. God may call you to go places that you never even thought you would go. He may call you to say things and do things and be things that you never thought. I would never do that. It's a lot more of a risk to disobey than it is to obey God. God. The risk is so much greater. And so I want you to say this with me. I'm going to deliver for Jesus. I'm going to deliver for Jesus. Say, I mean, that was cute, but I didn't feel that. I want to feel it up here. Come on. Say, I'm going to deliver for Jesus. Amen. What he told me to do, I am going to do. I want you to look at Psalm chapter 50. Psalm 50. Amen. Who's glad they're at church today? I'm glad. I love hearing the word of God, preaching the word of God, receiving the word of God. Psalm 50, verse 14. Now, here in a few minutes, we're going to receive communion together. It is the first Sunday of the month, and we'll wind down with that here in just a minute. But Psalm 50, verses 14 through 15, I need you to see this. It says, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. And that's talking about keep your vows. Keep your word to God. You told God you'd do something, you need to do it. Amen. And some people, uh, they, they don't, you know, they don't keep their word very well. And that's one thing to do it to other people. But if you made a vow and a promise and a commitment to God, you best keep that commitment to God. And so pay to the most high the vows that you made. But verse four, or verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will what? There's that word. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. And so God will deliver his people in the day of trouble. And when he delivers you, when he does come through for us, like we've been telling everybody he's going to do, 
it's going to bring glory to God. And when he, listen, when he delivers, it brings glory to him. They're like, how did she make it out of that? I don't, and she's going to say, God brought me out of that. I told you he was going to do it. Man, I better get it together. I need to be on the same page as you are with God. But look at this. Look at this. This is very important for you to see in verse 15. It says to call upon me. The person in distress is responsible for calling out to God. When you're in a bad situation, you are responsible for calling out to God. And with all of that, I'm bringing it in right here. Here's the whole point. Follow me on this. Look at Romans chapter 10. We're bringing it in to the New Testament here, and we're going to take communion in just a minute. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. So he says, I want to deliver you, but you got to call upon me. And so you're in this room, and you're like, I've done. Got it. I already did that. I called upon the name of the Lord, and I believe that you have called upon the name of the Lord. But what if it's not only about you? What if your end times calling isn't to only make sure that you're safe in your little household, but what if God has at least called you to something a little bit bigger, and that's to take care of more people and bring more people into the kingdom of God before Jesus appears in the sky and we hear a trumpet and we get sucked out of here and they're left on their own? Think about that. The lukewarm Christian or the mediocre Christian, they are only caring about what they can do to make it through all of this, them and their family. And hey, that's you got to take care of you and your family, no doubt about it. But what if Christianity began where we started saying, you know what, I want to take care of me and my family, but I know a lot of other people that they are not okay right now. I've got to do something about that. And so Psalm 50 told us, well, hey man, call upon God. He will deliver you. But look at this, Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The church should say amen to that today because you've done it. But let's get a little bit further. Verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? You know, there's not a lot of people calling on God that don't believe in him. People that don't believe in God, they don't call on God. They try to get good vibes. They go and stack rocks. They do something, but they don't call on God. And so how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never even heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Now we're talking about you. Now we're talking about me. We're saying, man, the world needs to just call on God right now. They need to call on. How are they going to call on him if they don't believe in him? How are they going to believe in him if they've never even heard of him? And how are they going to hear about Jesus if nobody tells them right now? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And you may be thinking, well, no one's ever said that about me. When you start bringing the good news, it's going to make some people angry because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you don't ever get any flag for your beliefs, then something is pretty wrong. Well, I hate persecution. I don't, I'm not wanting that. But obviously, if you don't stand for anything at all, no one's ever going to mess with you. That's fine. But when you take a stand for Jesus, it's going to take Satan off and he will work through unsubmitted people to say things about you, to try to shut you down, to try to shut churches down and people of faith down and everything else. But listen, 
all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We already know that, and we're willing to do that because Jesus was willing to suffer for us a little bit. I'm willing to take one for the team. But there will be a group of people, when you take a stand, they'll say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I was on my last, I was at the end of my rope and you showed up and you brought me Jesus and I received him and here I am going to heaven with you. This is a beautiful thing. And so learning from Esther, I will tell you this. There's no mistake that you're alive right now. You were born for a time such as this one right here and you were born for this time to take a stand for Jesus and to deliver what God has put on your heart and what God has told you to do and to deliver people from the kingdom of darkness. I'm just going to quote one more verse. You can throw this on the screen, but I've been saying this and I believe it's for us right now. Joshua 3, verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God is this close to doing something real big. You've got to be ready or you will not be involved in it. He said, sanctify yourself, purify yourself, get holy, set yourself apart from everybody else. Well, they're all doing this. That's fine. That's them. But I've called you to do this right here. Sanctify yourselves. Get ready for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. Be ready for a move of God. Can I say that? Be ready for a move of God like you've never even dreamed of, getting ready to take place right now. Because light shines brightest in the darkest places. Man, I slept in a cave one night a long time ago as a teenager. We were, we were doing some stuff, but uh, good stuff. We, but we stayed down in this cave. We crawled like 50 feet down to the ground, stayed the night in this cave in Indiana. It was the darkest thing. I mean, you could not see. You could hold your hand right here for a whole hour, and your hand didn't become any more visible. The most pure darkness you could ever imagine in your life. But one person lighting that lighting a match. That whole place illuminated and lit up like it felt like noonday in the middle of this. I'm telling you right now, you let your light shine right now. And people that used to reject you, people that used to say, I don't want to hear that. Your light is going to be so bright with the glory of God in this season that you're going to see miracles happen. And the Lord will do great wonders among you. Can we get an amen today? Amen. Let's stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.